Amen. Good morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 21 through 31, and also from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 16 through 23. Now hear the word of the Lord. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, when you're weary, you need an energy boost. You know, like some of you get coffee in the morning. And when you feel weak, you need an infusion of strength. And being weary and weak, they're not usually desirable qualities. But they're not sin either. 
And our scripture reading this morning tells us that there's benefit to being weary and weak. Now, most people balk at the idea of being weary and weak as things that make you dependent and needy, or worse, you're not self-reliant. Years ago, Jesse Ventura, the former governor of the state of Minnesota, said religion is a crutch for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. And now Ventura is not alone in his dismissal of the religious community. Robert Heinlein, who's a noted writer of science fiction, he was the author of uh, Starship Troopers. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but he was the author of the book. But he said this, religion is a crutch for people not strong enough to stand up to the unknown without help. Now see, weariness and, and weakness, it's not, it's not, they're not desirable characteristics for the modern person. You know, we want to project strength and not declare that we are weak or weary. Yet everyone, everyone at some point will find that, they, that there are things they face for which they are not strong enough. They're not as strong as they think they are. They find that their power, what little they have, is limited. But the Bible teaches here that there is a benefit to being weary and weak. The benefit is having the Lord's gift of strength to the weary and having him increase the power of the weak. The benefit comes to us through faith. And this is good news because being weary and weak doesn't mean that we're without help. Hallelujah. And actually the text is saying to us that the weary and the weak who learn to wait upon the Lord will win in the end. But how does strength, how does strength come to the weary and how is the power of the weak increased? So there's some things you should know from the text here. You should know that the Lord is powerful. You should know that you don't compare to the Lord. You should know that he exchanges strength for weakness. You should know that the Lord's end is our blessing. So, so you should know that the, the, you should know the Lord's power. Look at verses 21 through 24. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. You should know, you should know the Lord's power. Twice in this passage, Isaiah is pushing us to face what should be obvious about the Lord. That is his power over creation, his sovereign rule over the earth and his power over the rulers of the world. 
Now, this is similar to Romans 1, where God's power and glory are evident in Romans 1, 18 through 20, where the Apostle Paul writes, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. You see, Isaiah, like Paul, he's talking to the people of God. And he's reminding them, he's talking to them about the Lord, God who, who, who saves his people. And remember in Isaiah 41, it opens up with comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. You see, the text is reminding us, you should know, you should know the Lord's power and for God's people, that is a comfort. That is a comfort. So be convinced, be convinced of the Lord's power. And along with this conviction, you should know, you don't compare to the Lord. Get verse 25 and 26. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now you would think that this point too would be obvious. It, should, it seems like it should be obvious. Yet, too many of us these days are, are not aware that we are not God's equal. And we don't measure up to him. And what too many of us lack these days is humility. And if we, well, so, so we value, we value self-reliance. We, we value our accomplishments. And we tend to think, in them, that we don't need God. Philip Yancey, and quoting the theologian Daniel Hawk, he nails it. He says, the basic human problem is that everyone believes that there is a God and I am it. And in the words of D.A. Carson, he says that what we like to do, we want to de-God God. Barbara Boyd, in talking to a group of students, she gives some perspective as to, as to how we should, that we don't compare to God. We're not like God. She says, imagine that the distance from the earth to the sun, 92 million miles, was the thickness of one sheet of paper. Then the distance from the earth to the nearest star alone would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. The diameter of just one galaxy, of just our galaxy, would be, one, would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And our galaxy is only a single speck, one of an infinite number of galaxies, just in the part of the universe that we can see. If, as the Bible says, Jesus Christ holds all that together with just a word of his power, Hebrews 1.3, is that the kind of person you ask into your life to be your assistant? Or your consultant? Of course not. If you are to relate to such a person, he will be either the absolute Lord of your life or nothing at all. This is the greatness of God. Do we? No, no, no one compares to God. 
and to have the gift of his strength, you have to know you don't compare to the Holy One. And the humiliation of that realization it deepens as you, as you know that he, that, that he exchanges strength for weakness. This is good news. Why do you say, O Jacob, verse 27 says, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. Yeah, I've seen a lot of young people who drink Red Bull. <laughs> no. no, so this is, a comfort, this is a comforting message. But the question is, why? What's the trouble? Well, back in chapter 39, Hezekiah, you remember Hezekiah, he's the king of Israel, and Hezekiah had, had uh, fallen ill. He turns, he prays to the Lord. The Lord sends a message to Hezekiah through Isaiah that, oh, Hezekiah, you're not going to die. In fact, I'm going to give you 15 more years. And Hezekiah, you know, he, he recovers and the news gets out. This is a miraculous thing. The king has recovered. He was on his deathbed. What took place? And so Babylon sends an envoy. Then envoy comes in, and they want to say, oh, look, you know, Hezekiah, we're glad that you have recovered. You know, what's happening here? And Hezekiah, you know, he takes that envoy around, and, and he shows them, you know, they're, they're, he thinks that they're genuinely wanting to see him in his recovery. But they were really there to spy on Hezekiah. But he was too busy on his self-congratulatory tour to realize what was happening. When Isaiah, Isaiah arrives and he asks, what was this visit about? You know, Hezekiah, believing his own press, told them, they were here to see me. What did you show them? Isaiah asked. Everything. And then Isaiah tells him that, Everything will be carried off to Babylon and his descendants will be taken and made eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And here's, listen to Hezekiah's response. Because in Hezekiah's response in, in, in verse 8 of chapter 39, you see what Hezekiah really values. He says, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Now that just sounds so, that sounds so right, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> but his reply, the rest of the story, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Do you see what Hezekiah really valued? He, you know, no concern about his, his descendants, none of them, you know, my lifetime I'll have peace and security. See, the nation was going to fall, and the nation was going to be punished for their, their idolatry and the injustices that it engendered. Seventy years in Babylon, the nation was going down, was the message. And that's devastating. We only think our nation is going down every four years but if our party doesn't get elected. You know, but here, the nation really was going down. And, and Isaiah is saying that, you think the Lord has forgotten you. 
That's what, that's what that verse is about. My way is hidden from the Lord. You think that the Lord has forgotten you. And so they complain. Those 70 years, God does not see. He doesn't regard my way. But Isaiah reminds them once again that the power of the Lord, he's not tired. His ways can't be figured out. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. God has not forgotten his people. That's the way you feel when you're weak and weary. You feel like God has forgotten you, but God has not forgotten his people. Later on, he tells them in Isaiah 49, verse 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. You see why this is a comfort? This is, these are comforting words. Know it, he says. Know it, that God exchanges strength for weakness. But the question is, how does he do that? How does he do that? Well, verse 2 of Isaiah 40, earlier, he wrote, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God forgave their idolatry. God forgives their sin. The Lord himself pays for their sin. So the payment of Isaiah 40 is provided by the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who is none other than Jesus Christ. Because look at what Isaiah 53, 9 through 11 tells us. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities." You see, Jesus makes that exchange. He exchange he's, ex, he's exchanging his strength for our weakness. He exchanges his life for our death. And this is how God increases the power of the weak. If we're dead, you don't get any weaker than that. But so since it's Black History Month, I thought it would be good to to, to have a, an African theologian's take on this. And so Augustine, he said it well. He said, man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused by false witnesses, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. That's the truth of the gospel. God exchanges, in Christ, God exchanges his strength for our weakness. That's the good news by which if 
a man or a woman binds him or herself to it, the scripture says they will not faint. And because of Jesus Christ, your faith resting in his salvation, you should know that the Lord's end is our blessing. Good verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. See, God's grace is gooder than you think. It's, yeah, God, it's, he's good. He's gooder than you think. Look at the promise of renewed strength as you hope, or as the King James Version says, wait on the Lord. See, the promise of deliverance and, and sins forgiven is what would carry them through. See, this is written, this, Isaiah is saying this before they go into. And so you have beside them the judgment that's mentioned, but yet the deliverance, the comfort that God gives at the same time. Both are there. And that is the message of the gospel. We see the judgment of our sin when Christ, but at the same time, the comfort that his death and his resurrection brings to us. And so, before, before they go into captivity, they hear this promise of waiting on the Lord and what it will bring. And it carries them through that 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And this announcement, this is, the, this is an announcement of the, the glad tidings back in verse 9. It's, this was in advance of their return. And this is the fact that the Lord, so, yes, that the Lord is powerful. The Lord is powerful. They don't compare to the Lord and that he exchanges his strength for their weakness. They're encouraged in verse nine. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain, go tell it on a mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Hope in the Lord. He will restore you to the land to share in the blessings of the covenant once again. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is expressing in 1 Corinthians 9 in our New Testament reading when he says, to the weak, I became weak. What's he doing? He's doing just what Jesus did. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all means, all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now, aren't you glad, I'm glad, aren't you glad that it doesn't say to the weak, I became strong? <laughs> Ooh, you know, nobody, nobody, look, if you're weak and you're weary, you don't want somebody to come along and say, what are you doing down there? You know, you want somebody to come along and say, who says, me too. See, Paul embraces weakness for, for two reasons. He says to see others come to salvation to Christ, in Christ, and that he might share with them the blessings of the gospel. As you see, the end, the end of strength to the weary and, and the increase of the power of the weak is so that the glory of Christ is made known in the, salva in the, in the salvation of his people. See, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant that has blessings that includes fulfilling all of the word of the Lord. That word which Isaiah says in chapter 40 stands forever. The blessings, sharing in his blessing. Paul says, I will share with them in the blessings of the gospel. The end of pain and suffering. The restoration of paradise that Adam and Eve lost in the fall. 
the end of sin and everything that wearies and weakens. No more lies will be spread, but every man will speak truth to his neighbor. There will be a new city wherein dwells righteousness. There will be a new heaven and new earth. The Lord will reunite, re reunite us with all of our loved ones who died in Christ. We will have new bodies. Hallelujah. We will be able to touch our loved ones. You'll be able to hug them again and be hugged by them. And the scripture adds this, and the dwelling of God will be with humans forever. Hallelujah. And see, these, these are just some of the blessings of the gospel that, that we will share to the weary and the weak who place their hope in the Lord will win in the end. And with this in mind, will you hope in the Lord? See that word hope, that word that's translated hope there in Isaiah 40, it's a word that means to, to collect and to bind together. So, so you, the idea is you take all of the stuff, everything about your life, all of your desires, all of your hopes, all of your dreams, everything that, that you feel weakens you, everything you feel broken about, you bind all of those things together and you place them in the Lord. Everything that he becomes all of your desire. Will you hope in the Lord? As you go through this pandemic, as we go through it, will you know that the Lord is powerful through it all? Will you let go of your fear? Will you know that the Lord hasn't forgotten you? you know, as political fighting continues, and it will, and power struggles go on, and they will, don't lose sight of the truth that these folks don't compare to God, just like you and I. They don't compare to God. So will you commit to praying for their salvation? And as the fatigue of, of racial division, and it does, it does, it gets weary, it gets weary. Will you persevere in loving across the lines of race and class, knowing that the Lord has exchanged his strength for our weakness? Did you realize that, that that's where God's strength is seen? It's seen in your weakness, not in when you're feeling strong, but when you're weak. That's what the Apostle Paul says, I will most gladly boast in my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Will you continue to share in this blessing of the gospel with your brothers and sisters? And since God is God and we are not, it's good to confess our weaknesses because our weakness and our, our weariness are opportunities to experience the infusion of the Lord's mighty power. So brothers and sisters, let's confess our need of the Lord as we lift our voices in song. I need thee every hour. Let's pray. Our Father, we need you every hour, our most gracious Lord. No tender voice 
like yours can peace afford. We need you. Oh, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Oh, bless us now, our Savior, as we come to thee. Amen. Thank you.